You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. A well-known cattle rancher and craft lettuce farmer in the tiny town of Millerton, New York, teamed up to join the cannabis industry and launched the brand Alchemy Pure. I spoke to Chris Regan, Alchemy Pure's head grower and co-founder. We talked about what makes them stand out, their plans for launching a line of tinctures and gummies into the marketplace, and how they plan to establish their brand and compete with the West Coast cultivators once the borders open up. Let's meet Chris. If you could give us a little background on uh, you and your partner, Jerry Peel, uh, who has Herondale Cattle Farm, and you started, you you had a very well-known high-end lettuce farm, and you both have can you just give us like your little backstory? Yeah. Both of your very successful, well-known businesses up there. And let me just add one thing in. When I came back last week, I ran into my neighbor from seeing you guys. I ran into my neighbor next door and she's like, oh, where are you coming from? Like blah, 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 Millerton and Herondale Farms. She's like, Herondale Farms. They had a house up oh, there. Cool. I love Herondale Farms. We buy their whatever, whatever, whatever. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so- Jerry, Jerry, um, you know, Jerry has been raising livestock, uh, sheep and cattle and chickens um, for many years. I think his farm is probably 20 years old now, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still got that operation going. Um, I was growing salad greens for restaurants for basically the last 30 years. Um 25 of them as Sky Farm in Millerton. And we were, you know, we were well known in the Hudson Valley. I did, I did a fair amount of business down in Manhattan back in the early days, but the Hudson Valley, you know, became such a Mecca for good dining that I ended up being able to stay closer to home, which was great. Um, And that's mostly what I did was, was produce salad that went to chefs, you know, high-end restaurants and some retail outlets and you know that was that was a great way to make a living you know i wasn't getting rich but i was enjoying myself and it kept me in uh in all the things i needed for yeah that long 25 years um and in the ever since 2018 i've been growing cannabis so the last 6 years i guess um i was growing cannabis both for cbd um hemp and for um uh, CBD smokable flour for the, for before the THC was, was legal last year. So yeah, I've been doing that for a while and just, you know, fell in love with the plant from day one, really enjoyed um, working with it. It's just an amazing plant. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been exciting. It's been fun. I'm learning a ton. I've got a ton to learn. So yeah, yeah we've really yeah. enjoyed it. It seems so like there's so many nuances to growing and have you ever thought about, um, partnering up with uh, Cornell University in their agriculture program. I know I've seen another farmer do that uh, and other farmers in other states uh, do that kind of thing as far as being their, you know, their farm that they're, that they're studying, I guess. Um, yeah. The yeah. I know they're, they're like one of the top 
uh, agricultural universities in the country that are doing yeah. th that kind of thing. Just curious. Absolutely. Research, research. Yeah. No, I haven't, but I know that they, they're pretty involved in the hemp space from the beginning. Um, so I'm sure that they've got farmers closer to them mm -hmm. that they're working with. Yeah. We're pretty far from Cornell, but. Oh yeah, um, I guess that's true. You yeah. have to be close by them. That's true. I'm yeah. sure that would they would prefer that. I bet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I just think it's a great opportunity working with the universe, research universities. Yeah, you know. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so how did you? I, I guess um, you and Jerry know each other just from being, you know, in the same industry and you know agriculture and all that. And so, how did you guys? What was the moment when you both said, "Let's start a pot farm together." <laughs> Right. Well, we we were we've been neighbors because we're only about five miles apart um, for all this time. But we weren't really even, you know, we weren't even what you'd call social friends. We knew of each other, basically. But he knew when I started the hemp the first season, he wasn't doing anything like that. And he wanted to get into hemp the next year, 2019. So, you know, we we were running into each other a lot just before that point. And and that was sort of it. He wanted to get into it. So I helped him get his growth set up that first year. And oh. then, you know, we worked together for a year on his grow and it seemed like a good match. It seemed like a good fit. And so we just, you know, had our eyes on the, on the upcoming adult use market and figured we'd try, um, see if we'd get a license, et cetera. Best to have a, someone partner in a situation like this, trying to figure all this out too, and try to do You're it. You're not time. kidding. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to take on. And I'm personally, I just like to be out in the field working, you know, I like to be actually growing. And so having Jerry, you know, being the business side of it and taking care of all the red tape and all of that. I mean, we've got a much bigger team than that now, because we have to but um, just the planning. I mean, we spent two years really developing, you know, our plans and, and, and getting a good vision of what we wanted to do and setting things up. It's a long process to really, um, to, to, to jumpstart a, a brand and to jumpstart a farm like this and to, you know, try to navigate all the bureaucratic, your bureaucratic stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it was good. It, I couldn't have done it alone. I would have gone crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Especially the way things are going now. So, so basically right now you just have a grower, li grower license, cultivation license, and you're going to be going for the manufacturing license. So um, what products, so basically now what, what does the law allow you to sell and, and right. in line right now? Yeah, we, we each have our own license essentially. So, because we each had a hemp license. So we have two um, conditional cultivation licenses right now in New York. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm -hmm. So we're, a, we're authorized to, to grow and to distribute um, to retail dispensaries, flour and pre-rolls. Um, that's all right now that we can do. But, you know, from the very beginning, we were trying to imagine a, building a brand that would include more than that. So we're going to apply for a processing license. It's processing manufacturing. Um, and hopefully be able to get that sometime in the next six months, nine months. I don't know how long it's going to take for the state to review applications. Applications are coming on pretty quickly here in the next two weeks or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's our plan and, and to set up a solventless lab and a kitchen so that we can take some of our product, some of our grow in the early years and run it into hash, um, live hash, live rosin, 
as well as developing a line, a simple line of edibles um, that will be either using the hash or the rosin or both as a as a source. So, you know, we'll probably continue to try to produce high quality flour, which is our goal right now, and and high quality pyrrolls, but transition into solventless based concentrates and um, and edibles. Yeah, which we're really looking forward to. I mean, we we. We've been researching it for years. We don't actually have any experience ourselves with it. So we're also going to be looking for some um, expertise there as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's exciting. And and I think that's, you know, it's a, if we can get there, if we can position ourselves and have our brand accepted and, and we can make good quality or great quality concentrates, et cetera, you know, it's an opportunity in New York to sort of build a build a business around that. You know, I I think everyone expects that flower prices are, you know, what they are right now. They may change in the short run based upon more dispensaries opening, but in the long run, you know, flower prices settle quite a bit. So it's good to have, you know, a strategy for sort of outliving that moment when the guys who are, you know, growing a hundred thousand acres under lights come into the market and depress prices and all of that. So right now we're, we're having a ball. I'm having a blast growing flower and you know really enjoying it and i hope to be working with the plant in that way long term but you know we're also trying to imagine how we can survive the days in which the ro's and others come in and just swamp the market with flour right. it's a big yeah. state though it's a big yeah. state it's a big state. it's a big state and yeah it's going to take a lot of hard work to get that brand really known and um i guess staying craft staying in the lane of craft and um, and solventless, you know, is probably, you know, there's going to be a big market for that once people really understand what all that is. So, um, so right now you can only sell pre-rolls and I know you're doing pre-rolls with Keith, right? That's what you're, you're allowed to do. Can you tell us how you get your Keith? But like, what, how, what is the process of getting your Keith? Sure. When the flowers dried, um, all of the, the trichomes, which are the glands that hold the, the resin, which holds the cannabinoids and the flavonoids and the terpenes, those can, can break off just, you know, when you're trimming the bud by hand or when you're trimming it in a machine or it, they tend to fall off uh, to some degree. That's the key after it's fallen off. Um, you know, usually keep has got a little bit of plant matter in it too, for the same reason, you know, we're, we're taking it literally from the tray that we're hand trimming over as well as doing some, um, tumbling of other forms of like, um, shake or trim. We can, we can then run it through a screen and try to get more of the keep, take the keep away from the plant matter. So that's pretty much what we're doing. And yeah, we're infusing, we're infusing pre-rolls, um, a few different, few different strains of pre-rolls with keep just to boost, to okay. boost the THC, boost the fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all those great things that are in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then what about, um, genetics? Like how did you start with that? Or, you know, I guess when in the hemp world, when you were in the hemp space, um, yeah, if you could just tell us about your genetics, where you're sourcing the seeds or why you chose mm -hmm. those genetics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's challenging. I mean, you know, yeah, there are there there are a lot of good breeders. There are a, a lot of amazing work that's being done and has been done. And, uh, you know, I have pretty much relied on my instincts in terms of looking for um, 
looking for good breeders and good good genetics. We would love it if the Northeast had a more developed um, seed production system and breeding. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, underground, you know, um, breeding uh, word, legacy oh. legacy growers who are doing their own breeding up here, and they're developing strains that can withstand this climate that deal well with this climate. It's a little hard to get that seed as feminized seed. Um, for me, it's, it would be a big challenge not to be working with feminized seed on, on almost two acres. So I'm buying mostly from California, but from great breeders out there, Purple City Genetics has been um, the core of what I've been using these two years. Um, 2020 Mendocino is another. Humboldt Seed Company is another. And um, and then we've been getting a little bit from the Northeast that, you know, friend of friends kind of hook us up with some stuff. But um, yeah, it's a challenge and it's it's key. It's key to success. I mean, especially here, the weather we're having today with the weather we typically have in the Northeast, um, it can be challenging not to have a lot, to be growing a lot of, you know, mold basically. So genetics matter because some plants are very resistant some are not resistant at all it makes a big difference and um yeah we've had luck both years um mixed in with with less than luck <laughs> you know That's this true. year um, it's it's much wetter last year we had probably the best season we'll ever have in the northeast for growing mm -hmm. marijuana it was so dry um this year is pretty much the opposite but so far so good we'll see we've got another few weeks left yeah, so I guess I, I didn't even think about your genetics and that that they need to be able to perform in certain type of weather that like that's your consideration, the things you have to consider. I would never have even thought about that. And also because it's a wet climate-ish here with the mold mm -hmm. factor and the resistance. It's yeah. interesting. I, I had no idea. Um, that's that's the key for me. I mean, you know, the customer and, and the, the market, you know, they're interested in in you know particular strains and such but um if you can't grow it outdoors or you can't grow it in a greenhouse in the northeast it's not going to help you much so I'm, I'm trying to find interesting genetics for the customers as well but um and you're saying that working with some of the new york they've got to be like, growable like the oh, old yeah. new york yeah strains I, I don't know isn't new york kind of known for some specific strains is, is, is it sour diesel world or something i don't i really don't yeah, know exactly. about yeah but i just have heard people say well the new york strains but that's probably what they're talking yeah. about. what can what can actually grow here that's probably what they're saying right yeah, well they're, they're, i mean they're talking new york diesel is a specific thing and that was developed and then it was developed in new york i guess in the northeast and there are other strains that are coming out of maine you know, um, over in Mass, I mean, Chemdog is originally from the Northeast as well. But to have a nursery that's producing, you know, thousands of feminized seeds, um, and diesel is primarily grown indoors, even though it's a New York-based um, genetic, you know, it was developed in New York, but it was it was indoors. Yeah. And you can grow it outside, but... Um, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a dance. And, and but the I, breeding world is so immense, you know, what's going on all over the world. And certainly in California, there's just all kinds of awesome stuff. I mean, yeah. a lot of selection, a lot of possibilities, 
you know, we're also growing this year for extraction for our solventless. So we're going to freeze. We're going to we're going to do some fresh frozen this year. So you know, this year I selected some strains that would that would work well that way, and they're meant to, for hash production. So there's yeah. that too, that whole other end of it. Right, right, right. And I, I mean, I know it, the industry is new in New York, and there's a few only a few dispensaries open. But are you getting a sense of what customers are liking? You know, what kind of strains they're kind of attracted to is there is there a, is there any data on that yet not data but you know like i mean there i'm sure there is developing i mean not I mean, so much what that. you guys are putting out like are you getting like yeah. feedback you must see people going more for one than the other and then you probably have to readjust and next yeah week, it's it's know? it's very interesting actually to see what what becomes popular, what people want, you know, if we put four different strains on a shelf, which ones sell? I mean, the sativas are definitely in demand in the state right now. And of course, high potency is always in demand. Everywhere, yeah. um, you know, we grew a lot of train wreck last year, a classic sativa strain, and that's been very popular. Um, so, you know, we're growing that again this year. Um, it's an awesome plant to grow. It's, it's uh, it's kind of hilarious because last year when I grew it, it and and anyone who's grown it knows this story probably, but it looks terrible. You know, it looks terrible. I thought it was diseased. We actually had it tested to see if uh, if our seedlings were diseased. It looked so bad, and, uh, and then at the very end, it just you know comes on. It's a big old floppy plant, but it's very disease resistant and you know tough as nails. And yeah, it was amazing at the end. Yeah, it's a great wow. great strain. Yeah. That's cool. So um, as far as products and well, uh, as far as products that you're doing that you can do now, I thought I saw on your website, you guys could do, is it fresh flower? Can you, can you do, can you do the, or does your license allow you to do the, the no. rock and press with your fresh flower? You no. can't, it's only what mm -hmm. breaks off. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. so you're going to either do a hash rosin or a live rosin. And the live rosin means that the flower is not frozen, but you press it while it's live. No, the, what the, is it mean, live rosin? Yeah, I mean, the, the live portion of that is referring to using fresh frozen. So you're taking the plant when it's still green, you're not drying it, you're freezing it as quickly as you can. And so you're getting a lot more, you know, of everything sort of packed in there. You're not, you're not losing terpenes to the drying process. It's just, it's just essentially the whole thing. So if you take that and and turn that into hash through the bubble making bubble hash making process, then you take that hash typically and put it in a rosin press. That's how you get live rosin. Okay. Okay. It's yeah. the live, okay before it's frozen. It's, it's okay. Got it. It's not dried and cured. Okay. Right. Right. When it's so many variations there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try, I want to try them all. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so. Um, Okay, so uh, great. So so um, then as far as standing out, I know when I've talked to you guys before, um, one standout feature that a lot of farms don't have is the benefit of having your cattle farm, which gives you great fertilizer, right? That many people don't yeah. have because they just have farms. Is that right? Is that something that really makes it stand out having, uh, having cow manure in your well, fertilizer? It, cer <laughs> it certainly doesn't hurt. <laughs> okay. yeah. It, yeah. It, okay so access um, to to large quantities of aged manure is definitely a good thing yeah 
<laughs> okay, so I'm putting that in there. Um, <laughs> and um, and I guess, yeah, I'm just looking for a standout, you know, because, you know, that's what you guys are trying to do. In well, our- yeah, I mean, I think what I would, what I think we're hoping to do <clears throat> is marry the the you know intentions of the grow itself of trying to really produce high quality um flower and grow it with a with with a real concern for the plant for the planet you know um i've been an organic farmer forever so it's just natural for me not to be you know using weird stuff <laughs> and and trying to grow the soil essentially if you have healthy soil you're going to have healthy plants um that's the basic idea and marry that with the solventless and the kitchen so that we're we're growing our own stock you know we're we're producing the flower we want to produce the genetics that that we want to to bring into the lab and to to make concentrates with and to make edibles after that so it's you know it's it's all of a piece we're not having to go out on the market and try to find it or just buy it you know, we're going to do everything. We're going to grow it. Um, we're going to get to to choose what to grow and obviously grow it as well as we can and then try to, you know, put it through and have it come out, you know, a really clean, lovely, delicious, mm. you know, either concentrate or edible. Yeah. 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 Okay. Great. So, um, what are you are you at Alchemy Pure thinking of working with um, other entrepreneurs who um, you know are looking for farms to man- either grow for their pre rolls or manufacture for their edible line? How how do you are you are you interested in working with other entrepreneurs now? Yeah, I mean, road maybe. I think I mean right now we're talking to some friends who are you know starting a pre roll brand. And you know we bought a really nice pre-roll making machine, so we're we're talking to them about making some pre-rolls for their line. <clears throat> I don't anticipate having more um, flour than we can use, uh, either selling it as flour and or selling it as you know solventless. So I don't expect to be to be growing for others, but um, you know in the short term anyway, it's it's nice synergy to work with somebody with our machine which costs a lot of money and makes really really nice cigarettes so yeah that sort of thing there might be some small scale connections too in terms of once we get our lab built um you know i don't think we're really looking to produce um any of the major brands or anything we're just not going to have the quantity of our own flour to do that i mean we may be able to we may be able to do something in our lab for people but it wouldn't probably be with our flower because I think we're hoping to use that all ourselves. Yeah. Right. Right. Okay. I didn't think about that. Makes sense. Okay. Right. You have to consider all that. Either you're doing your own product or you're growing for other people and manufacturing. I've seen a couple different farms up there doing one of those yeah. scenarios. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Um, and um, how is it? How is it going with the? As we wrap it out here, how is it going with the uh, grower showcase up there? Or is that helping while you're trying to uh, survive this ridiculous rollout? Yeah, here? yeah, we're in a few of them now. Um, Staten Island, um, Brooklyn. There's one in the Albany area, and there's one that's about to start in Hudson. And we're in our own little hometown one in Millerton. 
-hmm. I mean, they're all getting kind of off to a slow start. But that's understandable. I think it's going to take a little time for people to recognize, oh, this is happening and it's happening every week and all of that. So we're hoping, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it, it doesn't hurt. You know, it's like we, we're, we're fortunate enough to be in a bunch of dispensaries. Unlike some growers, we've, we've had that good fortune of, of being able to get into dispensaries, but it's still, it'd be nice to have more market. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, um, and is, what, what is the, what is the next role? I mean, I know they just approved or let a few more through. Are there, what, what is the status there? Are, are there, I guess it's the October 4th, like new submission for licenses or are there any new yeah. discoveries coming out right now? Like, no, I'm, I mean, as I understand it, the lawsuit that's holding up the conditional dispensary rollout is pretty set in stone at this point. Um, I think the judge is allowing on a case-by-case -case basis dispensaries that can claim they were pretty much through the whole process when the injunction came. Um, they're, they're willing to look at them on a case-by-case -case basis, but they really seem resistant to letting anything happen. So that might be two or three or four or five, I don't know, um, dispensaries that will be opening in the next month or two. So it, it seems to me that the 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 adult use conditional um, dispensary license program is pretty much on hold, which is really tragic for all the people that, you know, they got licenses. They thought they could go ahead. They even got beyond that. They got approval for their site. So now they're all building, spending a ton of money building out. And then this happens. It's just incredibly bad. Um, I know. It's incredible. But now the state, you know, is about to issue uh applications for the rest of the adult use licensed um enterprise and that's you know that's who knows how long that'll take i'm sure it'll take a matter of four to six months at a minimum before the first applications are are processed more than likely yeah i mean it, they have to review incoming you know it's it's a lot of work for the bureaucracy to deal with and and all of those are coming online at once and I don't think that they're limiting the numbers of them. I mean, they may limit the numbers they look at, but it's still going to be a, you know, it's going to be time. So I think the dispensaries we have now are the dispensaries we're going to have for at least six to nine more months would be my guess. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's only the, you know, it's only the application that's coming out on October 5th. It's not or fourth or whatever it is. It's not the, yeah. It's not licenses. It's just the, uh, the, the applications for them. Yeah. I, I, I was wondering what that turnaround could be for all this. Oh, that's just. I mean, I went through it in Massachusetts because I tried to get a, a grow there a few years back. And it was, I think it was six months that our license was just, our application was just being reviewed. And they were already way beyond that initial push. So we'll see. That's incredible. Okay. It's so sad though, what, what's happened for, you know, for a lot of growers, you know, we're lucky to be selling something. We just barely squeezed through to the point where we're making cash flow now, but a lot of growers never got there. And all these, you know, conditional dispensary owners that thought they were given green light and they were, and then the yeah. carpets yanked out from underneath them. I know. Just, incredibly bad there's going to be a lot of lawsuits going the other direction I'll tell you that oh yeah like we promised we promised you this was going to happen put seeds in the ground farmers yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a big statement out there I'm sure there's going to be some lawsuits on that and there should be yeah. 
There should be. Yeah, I mean, I you mean, know, it's at the stage like that, you know, for like you guys, like promised and go and. I mean, it's it's funny because I, I I don't. It's hard to know from the outside what the causes and 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 such are of the fiasco. I, in many ways, I admire what the program tried to do. You yeah. know, the the real social equity push um, seemed genuine. And I think there are people in the in the um, bureaucracy that that are genuinely trying to make that a reality. Mm-hmm. I also imagine, don't know for a fact, but I imagine there's a lot of pressure from, you know, corporate cannabis, et cetera, to sort of not let all this happen quite so easily so they have a better runway in front of them. And, you know, it's hard to know, but it it's... It's hard to imagine that wasn't didn't play a role in all of this. Yeah, are how how afraid are you at Alchemy Pure of the MSOs, the ROs to, um, coming online? You know, it 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 seems to me to be a bigger impact on the dispensary uh, owners in some ways. I mean, it depends. I don't really know what the facts are. I'm not exactly clear on how many square feet they're being given to grow on, et cetera. I mean, undoubtedly, it's going to be easier for them to produce some quality of flour at a cheaper price than it would be for somebody at our scale. Um, and certainly then smaller scale operations. So it's it's a threat. I mean, it's, you know, it again, the state had good intentions when they rolled this out, they were going to keep them at bay for a while and give the small farmer and the small uh, dispensary owner a chance to get established. But, you know, that's not what's happening, apparently. Right. And everyone in California is nodding their heads because I'm sure they've been through this bait right. and switch many times. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And are are you are you afraid or are you already working on getting your brand into or talking to any of those ROs as far as one once they go, you know, wreck to to sell your Yeah, we we have not yet. We probably should be. I mean, I know that at least at one point they were going to be required to 50% of their shelf space had to be other brands. So Oh great. Yeah. But whether they'll be taking Oh yeah. I, I, but yeah, we haven't actually, we haven't pursued that yet. We probably will as it yeah. you know makes sense to. Right, right, right. I remember Ashley was saying you put, you introduce um, pest to. It's, it's referred to as IPM, integrated pest management. Um, that's really a term um, that refers to just a general approach. Um, sort of counter to using a lot of chemicals to control bugs. Integrated pest management gives you a sort of pyramid of approaches, and you should, you know, you should look at it that way, so that you're you're only using this is for the big chemical guys. You're only using you know real uh, fungicides at the point at which you have to. But for an organic grower, even it's it's an interesting way to look at it because even though we wouldn't use chemical fungicides at any point you know, we're preventing bug problems. And mostly what we're doing on our farm, Ashley is scouting all the time. So, you know, she's going out and shaking the plants onto a card to see what bugs are there. She's got some some trap cards up so that she can see what bugs are around. And she's inspecting the plants, you know, with with a microscope or with, a, with an eyepiece, keeping an eye on the bugs. And then she's also releasing 
um, predatory bugs. So she's releasing the larvae of the lacewing <clears throat> and she's releasing these specific wasp eggs and larvae and wasps that, you know, attack a specific caterpillar that becomes a, a stem borer, you know, all this stuff. So we have had almost no um, insect trouble, both last season and this, and primarily because she's doing her job and like making sure we don't. And that's primarily what we're doing is just releasing beneficial bugs on a schedule and based upon on what she sees. And, you know, it's been great. It's been awesome, especially in the greenhouse. That's really key. I mean, outdoors, there's a lot of pressure from predators, natural predators on those bugs. But indoors, you know, you could have aphids um, just take over a greenhouse in a matter of days if you're not being careful. So. Oh, my, I no, know. It's, it's, it's fun. It's She's operation. a bug farmer. All right, great. So um, that's really great. Um, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season 1 of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.